Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Our next guest, superstar, man of the world, re- true renaissance man. When we're talking about the uh, the ability to uh, to uh, sing or tackle you or open a restaurant or just hold a good conversation, uh, John Papadakis was a defensive standout for USC. The singing linebacker went on to become a uh, booster and a restaurant owner and, of course, the father to Petros Papadakis, uh, who uh, you can catch on FS1 this college football season. But John Papadakis joining us now. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thank you. How was my intro? Was I, did I do okay? <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. You can throw in their civic planner, too. Civic planner. I love that. Yeah. Hey, give me an idea. You're, you got a concert coming up. Oh, yeah. Said, I've got a yeah tell me about it. Yeah. Well, people say, you know, they say, well, you sound uh, a lot like Tony Bennett. And I tell them, gee, does he sound like me? So, <laughs> you know, I've always loved his music. I remember just as a kid putting my ear to the a hi-fi set and and listening. I would even listen to his stuff before games, you know, because uh, of the depth of his voice and his ability to soar with it. I mean, really hit the heights and express, you know, real clear feelings at the same time. Not screaming, singing. I love and that. I'm, I was crazy about, you know, his, his ability to to portray the feelings that the writer of the music intended. And it seems as if he gives that kind of portrayal every time he really interprets a song. So I've always loved his music, and I find that of the three albums I've done so far, two-thirds of the songs were really, you know, originally recorded by Tony Bennett. Or he had a great version of them, you know, and they're moving to me, so... Music's always moved me, and I and I think that uh, applying myself to it's going to bring out the best in my my abilities. You're playing football at USC in the 1970s. Sam Bam Cunningham on your team. Just great history, great time, wonderful stories that you've shared with us over the years. But what was that experience like for you? And did you know at that time that you had a love of music or? Was that something that, you know, did you always think, well, maybe someday I could do that? Music is how we communicated with each other. You know, every kid had a, uh, <laughs> I remember, I had an all-American roommate. We met at the Shrine game. We ended up being captains of our Shrine team. You know, that was the best players from Southern California against the best players from Northern California. It was played in the Coliseum. It attracted no less than 60,000, 70,000 people, and it was played normally in July. And it, being it, it was played in July, it was the first football game of, of a new season, so to speak. And then, of course, we'd have a, we'd have a two-week camp there. And uh, John and I liked each other. We were um, roomed together, and we liked each other. And, and then uh, they just uh, signed, signed us the same um, situation at USC. John came in the room, and he put up a picture of his girlfriend high school girlfriend, 
and I objected to it. I said, <laughs> I said, I had just and uh, you know I had just set up my record player. Now you use the record player to you know draw attention, right? And I'd put it between our beds, except it was a Sylvania record player. And plays those long playing albums. So John sets up the picture of his girlfriend. I said, I don't, I don't want to look at her every day. You know, keep in mind these rooms are pretty small. And he said, Well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to look at her. So I took the picture and threw it out the window. Well, <laughs> John was six five, two two sixty. You know. <laughs> He practically picked me up and threw me out the window, but instead he threw my record player. <laughs> so he couldn't have hurt me anymore because that's how we all communicated through music. You know, when guys came over the um, your room or later when you'd have an apartment or something, first thing you did was, you know, play him the new record you just got and the new song that's playing and the new hit from, you know, this source or that source. And so... I think everyone on the team had their favorite recording artist, and and uh, I, I can remember some, many of the teammates just by the music they sang. Give me an idea. And again, we're talking to former USC linebacker John Papadakis, played there in the '70s. Son Petros went to USC as well, and you know you've got a long history with the Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12. What do you make of what's happening in college football? Well, they all call it a, a financial reality, right? That's what they're, but it's only because they are um, kowtowing to it, so to speak. They're worshiping it. They're bowing down to it. They're saying, nobody's going to get ahead of me money-wise. Well, when you pursue something, you know, on one end, you lose something on the other. And they're going to be counting up their losses here as they proceed. They're going forward for the money, right? They're diving into it. You know, get out of that place and go to this other place. And they don't understand the hardships involved. And they're, they're naturally going to be the hardships involved. So it's just a matter of time for them to discover this. Big Ten football is different you know every team has has to be they play a physical brand of football and um, especially in the middle tier um, schools there most of them run the ball well USC has not done well, well against the run and teams that can control the field and keep you in the middle of it look at, look at the Oregon State game last year Oregon State was dedicated to, what, three tight ends, right, dedicating to, dedicated to running the ball and defensively kept the USC on their toes and in the middle of the field. SC had to punt the ball, <laughs> which they weren't used to doing. So uh, this is what they're going to run into. There's a lot of Oregon State types in the, um, in the Big Ten, wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. I think that style of play. If, if, yeah. If you let your dauber down against Wisconsin, they will break every bone in your body. That's how they play football. Of course, if you get the jump on them, you know you can have a two or three or four touchdown victory, which is what a lot of the West Coast schools want to do. You know, I, I, it's too bad because the West Coast had its own identity, and now it's going to become part of something else. 
and it's not going to be able to assert that identity, it's going to be more reactive. It's going to have to be more reactive to the to the new reality that they've chosen, only based on it's only based on money. If if I'm correct, isn't it? It's not yeah. quality. It's money. No. Yeah, and I think you could even argue this season that, you know, if you look at the top five teams in the Pac-12, they're all you know maybe top six. The top six in the Pac-12 might be better. I think they are better than the top six in the Big Ten, even though Ohio State and Michigan are one and two in that conversation. I think the Pac-12's got some really good teams, some good quarterbacks. Uh, we're talking to John Papadakis, former USC linebacker. You uh, you owned a restaurant after your playing career, and it became a gathering spot for coaches and and uh, assistant coaches and boosters and fans and sometimes players. What was that like? To have rest- Pete in that Pete Carroll era, the restaurant shot me into the uh, atmosphere. I opened it in '73. I was 23 years old, and within months, I had movie stars coming in and directors, famous producers. Uh, I it was all, all the old guard of Hollywood, my generation, and uh, word got around, and the place was. Uh, hard to get into. Well, I was successful enough in my early 30s that I wanted to share that success with the USC football team. And that was John Robinson's first tenure there. And I started having the team down once a year for dinner, just to show them that there's life after football and give them a great night out. And, you know, share my love and pride for being a Trojan, right? And the kids would love it and the coaches would love it. And I got to know every coach and and, of course, Petro was just a little kid then washing dishes or being a busboy. Over the years, and that lasted about 20, 25 years, comes to when Pete Carroll comes in, Ed Orgeron tells him, listen, that's where you should recruit. Ed Orgeron is his only assistant that was carried over from the Paul Hackett staff into the Pete Carroll staff. And he tells Pete, he says, he's head of recruiting, by the way, and he says, you've got to recruit there. He said, you've got to go down and meet John Papadakis. So Pete came down and he asked me what, he, what I thought he should do. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm sitting here singing and dancing for my living. I don't know what the hell to tell you. And he said, no, I'm, he said, please tell me, what would you do? I said, you possess the ball. You possess the ball. You just keep the ball. I said, and you deny the line of scrimmage. You prevent them making first downs. I said, your offense, the first downs your offense makes in the first half will turn in touchdowns in the second half. You, if, they, if the other team can't score, they can't win. So he was a defensive coach. That made a lot of sense to him. His first great recruit that he created his um, defense with was Sean Cody, the guy that played the three technique over the nose. And sometimes when we have time, I'll tell you the recruiting story of Sean Cody. But he started to have them. We started to have the most glorious recruiting uh, sessions that you've ever seen. They were nothing short of uh, the Ben, the chariot race in Ben Hur. They were written about. <laughs> they, they were written about in the Denver Post and in the um, New York Times, you know, but not not in Western, not in the West Coast papers. I think USC didn't want to emphasize that. <laughs> Nothing illegal was going on. It was all, you know, above board and simply a, a great night out and and we sh- glorious evenings. And of course, he never missed. Reggie Bush, 
he committed there. Matt Leinert committed there. Um, who was the kid? White. Lindale White committed there. Yeah. Cody, Mike Patterson. Oh, they're all Americans. Brian Cushing. You know, it was a great era for the me and the restaurant, and it was a culmination of having the team there for 20 years, you know. And Pete and I ended up being close friends, and we uh, I was uh, with him most of the time, you know, and especially in games like Notre Dame and national championship games and things like that. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was a good relationship and something that I felt very re- rewarded with. Uh, he was very inclusive. And let me say this about Pete Carroll. He was extremely resourceful. He identified me as being someone that could make a difference for his program. And and I was grateful for the, that recognition, you know, just to for someone to smell your blood feels good when you're an old football player, believe me. John Papadakis with us, former USC linebacker, um, and he's got a concert. When's your concert? Is it September? September 21st at the Catalina Jazz Club in Hollywood. Oh, I love that. It's a Thursday night, and uh, ticket sales sales are going very well. You can you can get tickets by calling the club, the Catalina Jazz Club in Hollywood, or you can go to my Instagram, which is the Singing Linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> go in there now, the Singing That's Linebacker. The Singing Linebacker, and and uh, there's a um, there's a box there that'll get you get you going let me ask you this you know reggie bush is a little bit of a polarizing figure in that usc community he he wants his heisman back um name image likeness rules today most of what he did would have just been an nil deal um should reggie have the heisman well he's he's suing right he's suing someone yeah he's suing saying he was defamed by the ncaa but i think he really just wants his records restored and he wants the trophy back well, you know, I recruited the guy, and I remember serving him and his mother and father. Well, it's, it's his stepfather. And um, I think he made some mistakes. I think that if he apologized, and he could clear it up more easily by, you know, and I think get public support if he took a broader approach to the whole thing. Um, I'm not in, in this, what do you call litigious age, you know, suing someone is like, uh, exercising a sacred moral right. I, I don't go for it that much. I'm with you. John Papadakis. Uh, yep. All I can, all I can say is that, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. Just, I think that he's taken that path, but I believe if regarding your direct question, yeah, I think he should believe deserves his Heisman. You know, I'm not I'm not with the Heisman Trust. I uh, as much as ownership as we have as citizens of that whole concept of that award, uh, he deserves it as much as anybody else. Um, but um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I think that he's made some um, maybe some decisions that he could have thought out a little better. And that goes, all, yeah. that goes all the way back to the original problem. You know, I got kind of caught up in it, so to speak, because those oncoming problems uh, at the end of Pete Carroll's tenure, 
reflected on everyone that was involved with the program. So everyone was um, suspected of this or that. And uh, that was really the only tarnish that existed, you know. Uh, Pete, Pete operated a clean house, but I think the Reggie Bush problem was out of his control. I think, like anyone else, they tried to hopefully it didn't come out, but it ended up coming out. John Papadakis, before I let you go, uh, you got your kid, Petros, on TV, on Fox, FS1, calling football games. Uh, you got to be incredibly proud of him. Yeah, I think he must have set a record last year calling games simply because he was so efficient doing it from a studio. Yep. That he would do two and three, two sometimes a day and two and three uh, a weekend, you know, uh, because of his ability to interpret the game, even though he wasn't there, he could make everyone feel like he was there. And so <laughs> he ended up, you know, I think he probably set a record for Fox calling college football games last year. And yeah, I'm proud of him. I've always loved the way he interprets and analyzes the game and Gets you living inside, you know, it, so to speak, for the time that he's uh, he's got you watching. Hey, you know, a thought occurred to me. Yeah. That when you introduced me, and growing out of your introduction, I realized that singing is another way to tackle somebody. Capture him. <laughs> because that's what I'm doing. You know, I can't physically tackle him anymore. But if you can, if you can grab a hold of him when you're singing, you won't let go of him, right? I love that. And you know what? Thank you. You sent me a CD. I still it's in my car. It's in the CD player. And so, you know, when we turn that on, my kids want to hear to put on the guy who sings like uh, Frank Sinatra. And I yeah. and that's John Papadakis. It's engaging, you know. I think people listen more for what you mean and what the lyric means to you. And they imagine your feelings, the singer's feelings, you know, and, and then they compare it to their own and their own life experiences and things. Obviously, love songs are wonderful to sing because we all are born of love and need love. So, uh, like I said, it's another way of tackling. <laughs> you want to sing a couple bars for us? Give people a preview? Oh, life. <laughs> well, no. I'll just say goodbye. <laughs> John is Thank it, you. It, it, if you don't watch out, I'll sing the whole Boulevard of Broken Dreams. Why don't, why don't you sing us to commercial break, and we'll fade it out. Okay. Here we go. I walk along the street of sorrow. <laughs> I'll see you later, Dad. All right. Thanks, John. There he goes. John Papadakis. Leave it here. Mountain West Conference Commissioner Gloria Navarez has uh, made an in-person presentation to Washington State, uh, Yahoo Sports reporting that Navarez made the trip to Pullman. Uh, I had previously reported that she had not appeared in person uh, as of yesterday. It appears that today she did make that appearance in Pullman. So Gloria Navarez, the Mountain West Conference Commissioner, um, delivering an expansion presentation. And we'll, uh, we'll make the presentation to Oregon State as well. It is uh, a serious step towards uh, the Mountain West Conference trying to uh, court the Pac-12's surviving two or four schools. Uh, the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, Commissioner Michael Resco will also present virtually in separate meetings with Washington State and Oregon State. Each commissioner will detail the strengths of their leagues, no decisions 
or commitments are expected. Uh, everybody's still waiting for Stanford and Cal to figure out what goes on with the ACC. But Oregon State and Washington State, as I reported yesterday, creating a parallel path and a way to uh, get themselves some footing in the event that they have to resort to footing without Stanford and Cal. So, um, by the way, the group of five is guaranteed at least one automatic qualifying spot in the playoff. So uh, the two additions are basically uh, the, AA, the AAC and the Mountain West Conference looking at Washington State and Oregon State as schools that could come in and help bolster that, that opportunity. Um, by the way, um, you've, got, uh, you've got some real questions about the assets that are remaining in the Pac-12 Conference. Included among them an emergency fund that could have somewhere north of $30 million in it. I spent some time this morning, so you don't have to. I read for 45 minutes the bylaws of the Pac-12 conference. Just went back through them, line by line, went through all of the membership stuff. There are some murky elements that sort of leave it up in the air as to what would happen in certain scenarios, but I left with a pretty good feeling that what I think we're going to see happen with Oregon State and Washington State, regardless if Stanford or Cal are part of the equation. I think Oregon State and Washington State are very likely to try to make um, the the Pac-12 in name, if in name only, the entity that they end up, the umbrella they end up playing under. So whether that is the Mountain West Conference or some of the Mountain West Conference members moving over and assuming the Pac-12 name or some blend of the American Athletic Conference and the Mountain West Conference moving over together to assume um, the name, I think that uh, I think we're going to see the Pac-12 have a puncher's chance to exist beyond 2024 in some form or fashion. Like it may include San Diego State or Boise State or Fresno State or SMU or some others. It could have Stanford and Cal in there. It might not have Stanford and Cal in there. I think all of that is to be determined. I was told by a source at Oregon State slash Washington State that they will fight to the bloody end to preserve the Pac-12 conference, and I think we're seeing some of that fight here uh, present itself in the coming days. So keep an eye on that. Yahoo Sports reporting that Gloria Navarez, the Mountain West Conference Commissioner, going to present to Oregon State shortly, likely presented already today to Washington State. Uh, These are serious conversations, of course. And, you know, if you're Oregon State and Washington State, you're trying to make sure that you not only have a path with Stanford and Cal, that but you also have a path without them, if it comes to that. Um, I was also told that they expect resolution on that front in front of when Week 1 games kick off. Now, Week 1 games officially will kick off next Thursday, but uh, Oregon State does not play till Sunday. Washington State plays on Saturday. But I'm told before these games kick off, that these schools want resolution. I actually think they kind of want it before the end of the week. So I'd be curious to see what happens with Stanford and Cal in the next 24 hours, and I will have you covered on that front. Anna's popping into the studio. She's got the 5 at 5. On tomorrow's show, we've got Dan Lanning, Oregon football coach, and we've got DJ Uyungalele, the quarterback, starting quarterback at Oregon State. All of that tomorrow. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Baltimore. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but 
If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.